In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the internationally acclaimed ODGN HSE podcast heard in over 100 countries. If you appreciate this podcast, then thank and support today's show sponsor, Hexagon, and the folks from their Asset Lifecycle Intelligence Division. Hexagon delivers software solutions that prevent, detect, and remediate cyber threats, reduce process safety risk, and optimize profitability, enable trusted data for decision-making, and even digitize your supply chain. This is industry-leading asset management software to extend asset life cycles and improve productivity built upon more than 30 years of experience and continuous innovation. Their goal is to help you maximize your return on technological investments, so Hexagon's global support team offers ongoing product upgrades and technology support 24-7, 365 days a year. Also, they provide superior instructor-led and virtual training services to help you get up to speed with your new solutions. Visit the Resource Center at hexagonppm.com to explore solution brochures, case studies, product sheets, videos, white papers, and more. And of course, we'll post this web address in the show notes. Make better, more strategic decisions to extend asset life that increases safety and improves profitability with Hexagon. Today's show comes to you, as is the case most of the time, from about 55 miles northwest of Houston, Texas, in a gated community on Lake Conroe called April Sound. For those of you listening in the more than 100 countries around the world who might be interested and you want to look that up on Google Earth. Lake Conroe is on the West Fork of the San Jacinto River. It serves as an alternate water source for the city of Houston, although it's best known for its recreation and fishing. The lake is bordered on the north by Sam Houston Natural Forest, which provides an abundance of wildlife such as deer, several species of birds, even alligators. Fishing species are blue channel and flathead catfish, striped white and largemouth bass, crappie, and even they say smallmouth buffalo, but I don't know what that is, and to my knowledge, I've never heard of it. The lake has over 22,000 acres of surface water and while that doesn't even rank in the top 15 of the largest lakes in Texas, it sure is nice to have when it's as hot as, as, as it has been the last few weeks. It's actually only supposed to get to 96 degrees Fahrenheit today, which is almost like a cool wave compared to the recent triple-digit afternoons. Which brings me to my first topic of the day, and that is keeping employees safe from heat illness. Heat-related illnesses include heat stress, heat exhaustion, and even heat stroke. So, here are some things you should know. Number one, keep track of the heat index. Here in the United States, the National Weather Service provides a uh, measurement tool for heat-related workforce risk. They call it a heat index. It's a scale that ranges from 80 degrees Fahrenheit and 40% humidity all the way up to 110 degrees Fahrenheit and 100% humidity. Sometimes it's called the real field temperature. Uh, for example, where I am here on Lake Conroe, the actual temperature is 94 degrees Fahrenheit, but the heat index is 103. So when the heat index is in the 80 to 90 degree Fahrenheit range, uh, fatigue is possible if you're 
exposed for a prolonged period of time in the heat and conducting physical activity at the same time. And when the heat index is in that range, they say caution should be exercised. However, when the heat index reaches 90 degrees uh, all the way up to 103 degrees Fahrenheit, extreme caution uh, should be exercised because there's a risk of heat stroke, heat cramps, or heat exhaustion with possible prolonged exposure and physical activity in, in that heat range index. And then anything above 103 degrees Fahrenheit should be considered dangerous. And if it reaches 124 degrees Fahrenheit, or if it exceeds 124 degrees Fahrenheit, this is considered extremely dangerous as heat stroke isn't just possible, but it's highly likely. So keep track, number one, keep track of the heat index. Number two, to prevent heat illnesses, number two is water. And number three is water. Make sure there is easily available plenty of fresh, cool drinking water, not water kept in plastic bottles out in the hot sun. Make sure that you have an ample supply of, of water, that it's easily accessible. Make sure someone is designated and responsible for this. And in some cases, you may, in extreme situations, need to consider hydration that includes uh, things like electrolytes and, and the sort that uh, go into those kinds of Number four would be what I call risk management 101, which everybody should know. And that is the best way to manage risk is to either completely eliminate it or reduce it as much as possible. Now, we could go on into an almost limitless discussion on this, depending upon all the various scenarios out there uh, of everybody who's listening. But at the very least, you might consider things like, for example, adjusting work schedules if possible. And I know it isn't always, I'm just throwing out some ideas in the hope that some of them may apply, but if you can adjust work schedules to where you aren't exposed to the hardest part of the day, or if that's not possible, allow for more breaks than usual to get out of the heat for a cool down period, provide shade when possible, fans, uh, even water cooled fans or air conditioning. And just a note here, while we're talking about those sort of things, if you're thinking about the cost associated with some of these suggestions, that doesn't compare to the cost of less productive or even seriously injured workers. Number five, recognize and communicate the common signs and symptoms of heat-related illness, which include dizziness, cramping, headache, fainting, and pale skin. Now, just a few comments on these. We all know that dizziness can be caused by a momentary loss of balance or even simply standing up too quickly. And so we may dismiss it. But if you are outside on a hot day or you're in a building without air conditioning and you feel dizzy, don't be too quick to just simply brush it off. And especially if you are experiencing dizziness in combination with vomiting, weakness or fainting. Cramping from heat exhaustion usually occurs uh, in the major muscle groups. And while headaches can occur for a number of reasons, such as allergies, poor sleep, or even a hangover, and they may usually be minor, heat-related headaches are pounding and unrelenting. And if accompanied with pale and clammy skin, these might be signs of heat exhaustion. In these situations, move indoors, preferably to an air-conditioned area if possible, 
drink water, and do not go outside again until the uneasy feelings have subsided. Here are some other signs and symptoms of heat-related illness. Sweating in conjunction with clammy skin. Now you say, well, wait a minute, I, you know, everybody sweats in, in the heat. Yeah, but what we're talking about is while it's, of course, natural to sweat in warmer than average temperatures, profuse and excessive sweating with clammy skin means you might be at a risk of heat exhaustion. Also, rapid heartbeat, uh, confusion, and like excessive sweating, excessive fatigue. And finally, we talked about vomiting a while ago, but you need to watch out for some other what we'll call bathroom issues. That includes diarrhea. But heat exhaustion can have a negative effect on the urinary tract. For example, urine output might appear darker in color, and this would be because of dehydration. And as we've said, severe dehydration is a major factor in related illnesses. And then number six, everyone on the job should be looking out for themselves uh, and each other for these signs that we've talked about and these symptoms. And at least one person should be specifically assigned to it because you need to have an emergency plan in place to provide first aid. And if it uh, goes beyond that and it requires calling an ambulance, someone needs to be in charge of being able to explain to emergency personnel where your location is. Okay, I hope that was uh, worthwhile, but I want to switch gears here and I want to do something that that I hope is a little fun or at least fascinating, I think. And I want to try to make an important point with it. So here goes. Do you think it is possible to fall out of an airplane 10,000 feet? That's almost two miles, folks. Do you think it's possible to fall to the ground from 10,000 feet and survive? Well, on Christmas Eve in 1971, 17-year-old Julianne Kopke, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing the name correctly, she was traveling with her mother from Lima, Peru, to the eastern city of Calpa. Again, forgive me for those of you listening who know how to pronounce that. But they were going to visit her father, who was working in the Amazon rainforest, when a massive thunderstorm sent the small plane they were in hurtling into the trees. The next thing she knew, she was falling from the plane 10,000 feet into the jungle below, and she survived. After being rescued 11 days later, which that story of survival is another miracle in itself. She described how the plane flew into a swirl of pitch black clouds with flashes of lightning glistening through the windows, baggage popping out of the overhead compartments, and then a lightning bolt striking the motor of the plane, causing it to break into pieces. She said she heard people's screams and the noise of the motor until all she could hear was the wind in her ears. The next thing I knew, she said, I was no longer inside the cabin. I was outside in the open air. I hadn't left the plane. The plane had left me. Still strapped in her seat, Julianne realized she was free falling out of the plane, and then she lost consciousness. When she awoke, she had fallen 10,000 feet down into the middle of the Peruvian rainforest and had miraculously suffered only minor injuries. Somehow or another, the fact that she remained strapped in her seat and the thick canopy of the trees below cushioned her blow enough that she lived. I'll tell you another amazing thing about this story, and that is, after her rescue, she learned that it had been discovered that her mother had also survived uh, the initial fall. 
but she then did uh, soon die afterwards uh, due to her injuries and, and the inability to survive in, in the rainforest. That's a fascinating story to me. Uh, and when I was a child, I actually read uh, another story about a guy in World War II whose parachute didn't open and he fell into a canopy of trees and, and managed to survive. What's the important point here as it relates to safety? Well, it's been my experience that workers tend to ignore safety and become complacent about it. And those of us who are responsible for making sure that doesn't happen, this, this is our constant battle. But they, they tend to ignore safety and become complacent about it. And the reason is just because an incident never occurs. And what they don't understand is just because they haven't gotten hurt doesn't mean they should flaunt the fact. Instead, they have to be made to see that this is just like falling out of a plane at 10,000 feet and surviving. It's not the norm. When they take this attitude, you might ask them, can you fall out of a plane and survive? Yes, you can. It has happened. But would you take the risk? Well, what you are doing when you disregard safety on the job is that same risk, and you have to be able to explain it as such. This little analogy has helped me, and perhaps I hope it, it might help you. Do you have analogies, helpful hints, or stories you would like to share? Reach out to me on LinkedIn and let's discuss. We may even have you on the podcast. As always, thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, we've got some uh, interesting guests coming up in the next two weeks, so stay tuned. And tune in again next week for another episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network, the world's leading oil and gas podcast network. Uh, please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, like us on LinkedIn and use all your social media to tell your friends about us. And we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.